man, you're right. There's, there's not enough time to fit in 70 years in a video that, that short. There's so many stories that I could tell when I first came on board and then when Brother Schaefer came on board, when Eric came on board, and uh, there's just a lot of good stuff that uh, God has done, a lot of precious memories, and it is good to be back to see everybody, and, uh, and uh, there you are, Brother Dave, I was like, man, where did they leave already? And uh, so I remember when I first came and, and met Brother Dave, uh, Miss Sandy Fetter, he uh, reminded us of uh, Leanne's dad. He had boots on and he had a toothpick, and I was like, hmm, we're going to fit right in. And uh, so they have been an instrumental part of our life as well. And our kids, this is all they've known. And uh, so it was a big change when we moved from uh, here. Uh, I told you, uh, I was just a redneck prophet come to the northern kingdom. And God's brought me back at least for a day. And uh, so I'm looking forward to what God has got in store. It's great to see what God has done and what God is doing and what he has plans for the church. And just remember this truth. This is, this, uh, you hurt Brother Schaefer, you hurt from me, and I'm sure you probably hurt Brother Ben as well. Uh, this is not our church. It's the Lord's church. This is his candle. He can snuff it out. That's his prerogative. We're just the messenger on the wall at this time. Don't hate the messenger. Just get in touch with the message. In chapter 7, in verse 6, if you don't mind stand reading the Word of God in honor of it. Starting in verse 6, this Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. There went up some of the children of Israel, and of the, of the priests, and the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the Nethanims, and unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, and he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. And this is my text. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Father, would you bless the reading of your word? Would you bless the remainder of time we have together this afternoon? Father, we thank you so much for the music, the singing and praising of your name, the preaching of your word, and the challenge to us to remind us, if it had not been for you, where we've been. But Father, all the planning, all the preparation means nothing without your spirit, your presence, your power. And God, we need that now. I pray that you bind Satan. I pray you help us to lay aside every distraction. Father, that you would give us ears to hear what you've got to say. You'd give us a heart to receive it in faith and obedience. And Lord, you'd empower your message and your messenger. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Imagine with me, it's the year 605 B.C. And God's word is being fulfilled by the prophet Isaiah, that the people of Judah would be taken captive and punished for their sins. It was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 6, in chapter 11 and 12, and in chapter 39. And then King Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He deports the royal family, takes the temple vessels to Babylon. And then in 5, 
97, he sent into exile 7,000, the Bible says, men of might, and 1,000 craftsmen, according to 2 Kings 24. And then in 586, he destroys Jerusalem. Your, your home is destroyed. The temple's destroyed. Your place of worship is destroyed. And exiled the rest of the Jews in Babylon, except for, the Bible says, the poor of the land, according to 2 Kings 25. Well, in year 538, Cyrus, the great king of Persia, now conqueror of Babylon, issued a decree prompted by God himself, according to 2 Chronicles 36 and verses 23 through 23, and then Ezra chapter 1, the very first four verses, that permitted the exiled Jews to return to their land and rebuild the temple, which was prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah 44 verse 28. And what Cyrus did 25 centuries ago reminds us today of some very important spiritual truths as we look into this message. Number one is this, God is faithful to his word. Your, your, our theme is, is faithful in every generation. That's the time of message. God is faithful to his word. For 40 years, the prophet Jeremiah had warned the leaders of Judah that the Babylonian exile was inevitable. He tells that in Jeremiah 20 and then 21. And he pled with them to repent of their sins and surrender to Babylon. This perhaps would be the only thing that could potentially save the city and the temple from ruin. However, the leaders would not listen. Then Jeremiah announces their captivity is going to be for 70 years. In Jeremiah 25 and chapter 29, and Daniel prophesies this in chapter 9. You know, whether God promises chastening or blessing, God is always faithful to his word. I want you to listen to a couple of verses here in Joshua 23, 14. And behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. Are all come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. For then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants of thy people Israel, that thou teach them the good way wherein they should walk and give rain upon thy land which thou hast given to thy people for an inheritance. In Matthew 24, 35, the Lord says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. God is faithful to his word. God is faithful to his covenant as well. Despite Israel's sin, and aren't you thankful that despite that we are sinners, God is still gracious and merciful to you and I? Despite Israel's sin, these exiles were still God's chosen people, still are today, and the children of the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. You know what's really cool, Brother Ben? In chapter 17, God tells, reminding Abraham again that, hey, you're going to teach this uh, to their generations in their generations, which is perpetual, which is discipleship. God's been about multiplying, reproducing, reproducers that reproduce, reproducers. The nation had broken the covenant, but the Lord had remained faithful to his word. He had called the Jewish nation to bring blessing to all the earth, that he would send them to it, that they would fulfill their mission. You know, it's through the Jews that the world has received the knowledge of the one true living God, that we have received the written word of God, and we have received the Savior of the world. My neighbor, she... Uh, 
She claims to be a Jew and I invited her to church. She goes, I'm Jewish. I said, that's okay. I said, we love Jews. And she goes, well, I don't know, it's for me. I said, hey, if it wasn't for the Jews, we wouldn't have the Bible. We wouldn't have God's law. We wouldn't have the Savior of the world. We love Jews. Why don't you come see with us? Well, Jesus was a good Jewish boy. Yeah, he was and much more. God's faithful to his covenant. Now that God's in control of the nations. Let me say that again. God's in control of the nations. Even America. We don't like how things are going, but God's got a plan. Look, it was the Lord who raised up Nebuchadnezzar. Matter of fact, he calls him my servant in Jeremiah 25 and in 27 and in 43 to chasten his people of Judah. And then he raised up Cyrus to defeat the Babylonians and establish the uh, Persian Empire. He tells the people this ahead of time in Isaiah 41, verse 2. You ever had somebody tell you something and like it just kind of went over? And later then you're like, oh, snap, I get it now. You know, the Lord called Cyrus my shepherd in Isaiah 44, 28. He calls him his anointed in chapter 45 and verse 1. He's also prophesied in that same chapter in verse 13 that to, he will liberate the exiles and enable them to rebuild their city and their temple. Here's the fourth principle we need to understand. God's people need to remember this. He is sovereign, not just sovereign over all the nations, but he can do as he pleases with the rulers of the earth. I mean, we see this in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, and then Nebuchadnezzar confesses, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the habits of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven, and among the heavens of the earth, none can stay his hand, or say unto him, what doest thou? We see it in the life of Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 9, and Hazarus in the book of Esther, and Sennacherib in 2 Kings 19, and Augustus Caesar in Luke chapter 2, and Herod Agrippa in Acts chapter 12, and King Jehoshaphat, I think, said it perfectly, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art now thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee. And lastly, people don't have to be Christian believers for God to use them. Hey, he can use a mayor, he can use a governor, he can use a senator, he can use a prime minister, he can use an ambassador, he can use the IRS or the president. God can exercise his sovereign power to accomplish his purposes for his people. This is a great reason why the Apostle Paul exhorts believers, exhorts the church to pray for those in authority. So it tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it's not for our political agenda, it's for God's will to be accomplished. Amen. Now understand these principles. Let me just give you a rehearsal here, a little snapshot of the first six chapters in Ezra. In Ezra chapter 1, a decree has been made to allow God's remnant to return to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. Preparation and provisions are being made by the king. He tells them, hey, everything I've taken from Babylon, take it with you. And if you need more, I've got treasures you can have. Thank God. Don't think for one second. Can I just tell you just a, a cool hallelujah story? So during all this COVID mess, 
and you had the, you know, the PPP money that you had to pay back or pray we got forgiven if you applied for that. Then you had the CARES Act money that was supposed to be, you know, no, no strings attached. Long story short, through our, 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 uh, our Christian School and Association, they encouraged all the schools to do that. So we in the, in, in the school uh, applied this. God brought money from the government tax-free or, or no strings attached. We paid off some debt. God can use even our government to take care of things of the ministry. Ezra chapter 2, leaders, priests, Levites, servants, genealogies are being accounted for to see who could be, go with the remnant. The genealogy was very important. And the reason being is so that you could go back and prove and reclaim your family property. Because those who could not were allowed the right of strangers and foreigners, according to Exodus 22 and some of the other passages in the Old Testament. And now the people, they start investing in the work. You'll find that in verse 68 and verse 70, through a free will offering. The Bible says that some of the chief of the fathers set the tone of giving the offering before the people follow their example. Leadership needs to set the tone for giving. And then in chapter 3, the seventh month would be Tishrei, which is our September, October. This would be a sacred time for the Jews, according to Leviticus 23. You have the Feast of Trumpets. The Day of Atonement was on the 10th day. And from the 15th to the 21st day, they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. The very first thing Joshua the high priest did was restore the altar so that he could offer sacrifices for the people. The altar is so important for the believer's life. The work didn't begin until the second month of the next year, which indicates to us they spent seven months preparing uh, and gathering materials to build. You'll find in chapter 3 that unity is the tone that the people set for everything else to follow. If there's no unity within the church, it's hard to accomplish God's goal. And then you'll find the workers stood together in verse 9. The Levites sang together in verse 11. And at the same time, the people working together to get the foundation laid. Unity always gets the job done no matter what generation it's in. In chapter 4, you can always mark it down. Anytime God's at work, Satan's at work. And then attacks come to hinder the work of God. You have uh, from cooperation, from leading, to compromise. The Samaritans were seeking to draw the Jews into an unreal uh, union. The Bible says that they feared the Lord, yet they served their own God, according to 2 Kings 17, 33. Then there was accusations leading to fear. And then enemies told lies about the Jews, encouraged the people of the land, everything possible to discourage the workers and hinder the work. They hired counselors to influence the local officials, officials to stop the project. Does anything sound familiar even today? And they succeeded. Based on lies from Rehum, a letter that was scribed for him sent to King Darius. And within this letter, he gave, gives four reasons why that they need to stop the work. The first reason was true. The rest were lies. History had shown that Jerusalem was a rebellious and wicked city in verse 12, which is true. But it helped his other three points that were lies. Because in verse 13 of that chapter, it says an independent Jew or Judah would mean a loss of revenue and tribute to the empire. If they were allowed to continue to rebel, it would dishonor the king. In verse 16, the Jews succeed in rebuilding, rebelling, 
they would no doubt conquer the entire territory across the Euphrates. Well, in chapter 5, God used preachers of the word of God to get his people back on track. Haggai began his ministry. Haggai and Zechariah, a priest whom God called to be a private, according to Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 1, teams up to deliver God's word to the leaders and the remnant in chapter 6 and verse 14. Any work of God that isn't built upon the word of God will never prosper. God used local officials. Tatnay, the governor of the province of Judah, he was concerned about what was taking place in Jerusalem. And it was his responsibility to protect the interest of King Darius and the welfare of the empire and to see to it that peace and security were uh, maintained. But then he asked the king two questions in verse 9 and verse 10 of chapter 5. He asked, who gave you this authority to do this? Can you imagine asking the king that question? And this is, what are the names of men working on the building? Well, in chapter 6, God used King Darius. The royal secretaries, they searched the archives and located the scrolls that Cyrus had left contained the edict that governed the return of the Jews to the land. It authorized the Jews to rebuild the temple, even gave a, uh, a limit of dimensions. Within that chapter, you'll find, he says, let the work of the house of God alone. In other words, keep your distance. They even find out about the terrible judgments that's going to be done. If anybody hinders for them working and disobeys this command, well, King Darius orders the work to get back on track. The Jews are protected, provided for the means as needed, if not for the Lord once again. Then joy breaks out among the people. They dedicate the house of God with joy in verse 16. And there was joy in remembering the Passover, which is very, very fitting because they're coming out of captivity once again, separating themselves, sought the Lord, and did eat. And now we're in our text. You know, you'll find that Ezra, according to verse 6, was born in captivity born in Babylon, and which gives us a better appreciation of his achievements as being a skilled student of the law. No doubt, there were some of the priests that brought copies of the law with them when they were in Babylon. But let's keep in mind, there were no Jewish temples during this time. There was no place for the priests to minister to serve during this time. But there were some like Ezra, who dedicated himself to study and teach the Word of God. So when it comes to our relationship to the Word of God, Ezra is a good example for us to follow. If we're going to see that God's Word is faithful in every generation, then we need to be faithful to it. Let me say that again. I know, I know that you got comatose going on right now. But God's Word is faithful in every generation. If we're going to see that, then we must be faithful to it ourselves. We cannot pass on to others what we do not have ourselves. Let me give you just three points this morning. If we're going to be faithful in seeing God's word faithful in every generation, we need to be faithful, prepare our hearts to seek the word of God. You don't really appreciate what you have until it's gone. And the children of Israel didn't have a home for 70 years or a place of worship for 70 years. 
And now that some were able to get back home and see the temple come to fruition, brought great joy in remembering not to take for granted what they have. We have so many copies of the Word of God in our homes, so accessible to us today. Whether we have multiple copies at home, whether we have it on our phone or online, we have it, and yet we are so neglectful of it. You know, the Bible tells in Amos chapter 8, verse 11, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, I will send a famine to land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. You know what's scary? Is when you come to a place and you're journeying with the Lord that you don't hear the word of God like you used to. You don't respond to the word of God like you used to. You develop the attitude, been there, done that, which is pathetic. And then you're a lot like the children of Israel who argued, who complained, who became bitter against God and his man, not a good follower of God, his word, or his man. So how do we prepare our heart to seek the Lord? Well, the Lord tells us in the New Testament three times, gives us warnings, says it three different ways of the wrong kind of hearing. And those warnings are still needed to be adhered to today. Well, Matthew 13, 9, it says, Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. In other words, take heed that you hear. Use every opportunity to hear the word of God. He gives another warning in Mark chapter 4, verse 24. Take heed what ye hear. In other words, you got to do something with what you've heard. Now, I watched you guys. Some made a quick beeline to the food. Some mingled about, made their way, but everybody made their way there. And everybody grabbed a plate, if not two. I didn't see anybody bring a platter in, so. <laughs> grabbed a plate, brought it over, and you consumed it. I didn't see one person, unless it was a child. I'm not touching it. You did something with what you heard. You heard the instructions, food is that way. Once you get around a certain place, then just follow your nose, amen? You walked in, it's like, oh man, this is great. I can't wait to consume this thing. You see, this is why it's so important. Because Jesus says this in Luke chapter 8, 18. Take heed therefore how you hear. In other words, prepare your heart to hear the word of God taught and preached. We have to be like the Thessalonians. And that they received the word of God which ye heard of us. Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively worketh in, also in you that believe, according to 1 Thessalonians 2.13. That word receive means two things. It just simply means this, to accept from another. While on the second count, it means to welcome. One means the hearing of the ear, while the other means the hearing of the heart. And the believers of Thessalonica did not just hear the word of God. They made it a part of the inner man and made it a part of their life. We must be faithful in preparing our hearts to seek the word of God. If you're dependent upon one time a week, how many of you raise a hand only eat one time a week physical food? If you do, you're a liar. No, every single one of us eat at least minimum three meals a day. Unless there's medical means, you just, you can't. 
And chances are you snack maybe before the first meal, before you have that meal, and in between the other meals. But if we would take time to prepare our heart with the Word of God the same way we do with our physical, can you imagine what God could do in and through us? The second is this, be faithful and obey in the Word of God. We must appropriate the Word by coming to understand what we know. Hey, grow in what you know. Don't worry about what you don't know. God will enable you with what you can do right now and expand your horizon, if you will, as he trusts you with what you're doing, what you know right now. Meditate on what it means. Apply it to our lives is the best, is the way it becomes a part of our life. Meditation is the spiritual life as digestion is to the physical. If you will take time to meditate, to mull upon, to think about what does it mean? What does it look like in my life? It'd be amazing that you'll see what God will start revealing to you. You see, this is the only way to appropriate the word of God and grow. David said, oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day. This enables us to obey the word of God. The word of God then takes root in our hearts. It'll govern our every motive. It will guide our every decision and affect every action because it's going to be revealed through our life. The word of God will bring forth love, faith, and blameless living. When we obey the word by faith, then the word of God goes to work in and through us. The word of God has the power in it to accomplish the will of God. For, not, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. I have heard it said that God's commandments are God's enablements. Jesus commanded the crippled man to stretch forth his hand. Now think about that. I got a crippled hand. He's asking me to stretch it out. God's asking him to do some of the very thing he could not do. But yet, the word of command gave him the faith to obey. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It always bugs me when people say, I just need more faith. You need more word. Where does faith come from? From the word of God. The less time I spend in the word of God, the less faith that I have. God, increase my faith. He said, well, increase my time with you and, and, and me and the word. Amen. You got to do something with what you've heard. You got to prepare your hearts to hear the word of God being taught and preached. The crippled man trusted the word, obeyed the word, and was made whole in Mark chapter 3. And when we believe God's word and obey, he uses the spirit of God to work in our lives to fulfill his purposes. You know, it's pretty cool in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 13, 14, 15, around there. The Spirit of God knows the mind of God, the yea, the deep things of God, who will take the word of God to reveal the will of God to us. He knows it all. We just got to spend time with the one who knows. We have the master teacher living inside of us. You see, you're not done with just reading and studying. There's more about meditating upon God's word than it is reading. And you're really not done even with applying it. The big key is transformation. Romans 12, 1 and 2. He beseeches us, brethren, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I know you've heard me say this several times. What's the difference between a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice? The living can get back up. 
The dead's going to lay there, kind of like how you are right now because you're just comatose of food, right? The living can get back up. It has a choice to get back up, but it has a choice to lay down its life, to surrender my rights. Woo, we don't like surrendering our rights. My wants, my desires. Not being conformed to this world, being transformed by the renewing of your mind through what? The word of God, that you may prove the acceptable, perfect will of God. You see, this is the only thing. And the, the, the transformation is this. How do I know that, that I am being what God wants me to be? Well, let me ask you this. It was touched on in, in, in Sunday school this morning in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. The Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit ought to be lived out in your life. It's love. How loving are you? How conditional are you? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there's no law. This is stuff that you and I cannot manufacture. I've heard it said this way. We know the day that we get saved, that Christ is in us. That Christ is with us. That Christ is for us. But what does Christ look like as us? It's the fruit of the Spirit. When we prepare our hearts to hear, when we prepare our hearts to obey, life changing starts taking place. The way you used to operate, the way you used to think, the way you used to talk, it's no longer the same. And the last thing, is that once we are faithful in preparing our hearts to seek, once we're faithful in obeying the word, then we must be faithful in sharing the word. Hey, you can only share what you have learned from him through his word. What you are going through right now is often the very thing that he wants to use to help you and I to be the bridge for somebody else to cross. But if you are not faithful in preparing your heart to seek him, to, to obey his word, you're going to miss your opportunity. Let me ask you, I'm going to set you up here. I'm going to tee you up. How many of you have gone to one of your favorite restaurants and you had bad service? Somebody didn't raise your hand. How many of you had bad service at home with your food? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. <laughs> we want unity and peace, amen. But how many of you has stopped you from ever going back to that same place again? Of course not. But yet, you come to church, I'm offended. Because somebody said something, somebody did something that didn't rub the right way, somebody left, and it made you mad. Now, I love you, but I'm just going to tell you straight from the heart, because I'm leaving tomorrow, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but the reality is this. We'll go out and accomplish all these fleshly things, because even though we have bad experiences, it doesn't stop us from going back again. And yet, we'll get upset with God, with God's people, and we'll leave the church over nonsense. Compared to eternity, it is nothing. Because in the end, 
You're the one, just like I am. I have to give an account to the Lord. And because of how God may have brought this situation in your life to be the sanctifying agent in your life because he sees something in your life that needs to be changed, to be put off so he can put on the new man, but you won't let go of the old man because it's your way or the highway. And until then, God can never use you. God can so much work with a humble, teachable heart because we know, according to James 4, 6, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And until you and I humble ourselves, we will never prepare our hearts to seek him. Until you and I humble ourselves, you and I will never obey his word. Therefore, we will never share his word. You know, it was Peter and John who said in Acts 4.20, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You and I have a testimony. You have a story to tell. Ephesians 2.10, we're his workmanship, we're his canvas. He's still writing his story in our life. He's not done with you and I. He's not done with you until he takes you home. And as, I say this in love and, 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 and respect, but as old and decrepit as you feel at times, your ministry may have changed, but he's not done with you until he takes you home. For those who cannot do what they once did, you ought to be the strongest prayer warriors for Brother Ben in this church. He needs somebody to lift up his hands through this. This is not an easy task. One thing my brother Schaefer told me when I was youth pastor, he goes, you think you know on that side of the desk, but you'll never know until you're on this side of the desk. And when I began on the other side of the desk, I called him and said, I want to go back. Hey, don't let your lesson, your trial, your test go to waste. Share what he has done for you. Invest in the lives of others and what he can do for them, just like he has done for you. I love what Mary says in Luke chapter 1, verse 49. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. Hey, you want to see God's word be faithful in every generation? Then don't be the missing link to pass it on to the next one. You must prepare your heart to seek the Lord, his word. You must be obedient immediately when he speaks to you. You must share with others what he's taught you. Then you will see the next generation be faithful with the word of God so they can be faithful, passing it on as well. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed,